you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Coming up on Total Access, The Locker Room. What was Jordan like off camera, though? Is there something about him that maybe we we haven't seen? Okay, excuse my French, okay? Please excuse me. The most competitive mother I've ever seen in my entire life. Welcome to NFL Total Access, The Locker Room. I'm Michael Robinson. As always, joined by former head coach Brian Billy. Coach, what's going on? Doing great, man. We got a good one for you guys today. We're going to let you guys in on what players and coaches really talk about inside the locker room. Today, we're talking to a legendary journalist, Andrea Kramer. And guys, you're going to hear so many amazing stories and the interesting link between two goats, Michael Jordan and a Tom Brady. Yeah, and throw in a Michael Phelps on top of it. This is the grand lady of football when it comes to covering the sport. Uh, So you're going to hear some great stories today. Coach, we got a special one today. Okay, two-time Emmy Award winner and one of my favorite journalists of all time, Andrea Kramer. Let's give it up for Andrea Kramer. Welcome to the Total Access Podcast, Andrea. I have arrived. That's all I can say. (laughs) That's all right now. You're right. Now that you forget the Emmys. Forget the Hall of Fame. Exactly. But actually, I'm I'm on with two of my favorite people, and and that's that's what really matters. So thank you, guys. It's great to see you. Literally see you, even if we're not in person. Exactly, right? To see you and, you know, see you moving and all that. That's awesome. So, Andrea, you know we start every podcast with a locker room story, and I know you've been in a lot of locker rooms. You've covered a lot of sports. It doesn't have to be a football locker room or anything, or it doesn't even have to be a locker room. Just the behind the scenes uh, of what goes on in your business so uh yeah the floor is yours one thing i do think is important and by the way god let me get through this podcast without ending my career we've only ended one or two so don't I, worry I, about I, it. No, but well i do in all sincerity i do think that one thing is important for people to understand which is especially for women going into a locker room is not a sexual experience it is mm-hmm. a workplace i know for myself one of the things that one of the from really the first time I ever got into this business that I had made a determination that I'm not going to interview a naked man because if he doesn't have the respect to put something on for himself or for me, I don't, I don't need that. That being said, um, you always have to watch your eyes, especially when you're me and you're five foot two, you have to be very (laughs) cognizant in the locker room. I want you to know guys that I've only had one time when the subject of somebody's <clears throat> anatomy has been brought up to me, and that was by men, that was what? by guys, it was by guys, <laughs> and they said, and they were of course just busting my chops, and they're like, yeah. "Oh, who do you think's nicknamed Tripod?" And I go, "I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Okay, I, I do know who it is, and we can talk about it all there. But I will say this: I, I don't want to really, know that." You, you, do, you, you really have to watch your eyes, yeah, and yeah. I'm always very cognizant of it, but I'll never forget. I am in the San Francisco 49ers locker room back at Old Candlestick, and it was two-tiered at that point. You probably remember, Coach. There yeah, were some steps right. that went up to some other lockers, and there was a player, Hall of Fame player, who was, was his back was towards me, 
And again, you always are careful. And I, but I looked up and all I remembered seeing, this was right after the game. This is actually not funny. It looked like somebody had whipped him. Mm. He had these, these like, it was, it, it almost as though he was bloodied. And mm. that was, a, that resonated for me so strongly because it was like, okay, everybody survived the game, but let us not forget literally the scars that players go through Ooh. to play this game and sort of the physical indignities that they can suffer. It literally, guys, looked as though somebody had taken a whip and just his, he had these long, red, almost bloodied lines on his back. And I just never forgot that because it, it remind it was a constant reminder of how tough this game of pro football really is. Right. Well, let's go back. I want to go back to, cause you, you are, you are the, the queen of interview of women in the sport. And, and that's why you're in the hall of fame. Tell me that transition. Cause I'm trying to remember back when that first happened for me as a coach, that we had reached where women were going to be allowed in the locker room. Tell me the very first time, all right, we're going to do that, and it's it, the the very first time you went into a locker room. Yeah, well, the first time I ever went in, well, it wasn't the first time that I went into a locker room, but it was one of the first times I found out when I couldn't go in a locker room. Ah, It was 1982. It was my very first job. I was the sports editor of the largest weekly newspaper in Pennsylvania, the Mm -hmm. now defunct Mainline Chronicle, and Mike (laughs) Quick of the Philadelphia Eagles was going to his first Pro Bowl. And I wanted to do a story about this. Well, at that time, guys, women could not go in the locker room on non-game days. Are you kidding me? No, they could only go in the locker room on a game day. So I got special dispensation to go in the locker room to interview Mike Quick. So you know what it's like the day after the season. Guys are clearing out their lockers and this and that. Mm -hmm. So I go in, and Mike is there just sort of uh, at his locker. And I'm just sitting at an adjacent locker. And I I had my recorder, but we, we were just sitting there talking. I hadn't really started the interview yet. And all of a sudden, he looks at me and he goes, wow, you really know what you're talking about. And mm. I go, uh, duh. Like, why else do you <laughs> think like, I'm yeah. in here? Yeah. <laughs> right. but, the, and, but the funny thing is, Mike and I, of course, cultivated a relationship over the years. And I saw him. And, of course, he's, he's a broadcaster for the team. When I got inducted into the Philadelphia Sports Hall of Fame, I told this story and Mike's like, yeah, it's true. I remember it, but it's, it's, you never, you never, it's, it's, it indicates that you never want to forget where Mm -hmm. you came from and how you started off. And yeah, at, at, when I, in the beginning coach, I, you were not allowed in, in the locker room on certain days. Wow, man. And that was 1982. I'm sorry, guys. That was a year before I was born. That is so cold. I'm oh, so my God. I Andre, Andre was only 12. So. Exactly. You know I was saying? a child prodigy, so, yeah. you know. Exactly. Now, now, Andrea, you've covered 25 Super Bowls. I mean, plus Super Bowls. I mean, you you have seen I just want amazing. you to know, my, my 29th Super Bowl, it would have been my 29th Super Bowl, Michael. Yeah. Right here from my living room. There really? we go. Like a song. Oh, yeah. Wow. You get an yeah. asterisk. Your, your, your string is good, though. The ast- We all get an asterisk. So those, yeah. those 30, strings whatever. are a but lot. Again, right. Close to 30. But like we said, like Coach said, we always listen to Coach. I started when I was 12. So there, there you go. Right. There you right. go from an early age. So spill the tea. Keep it real, which you always keep it real, Andrea. Um, most challenging athlete you ever had to cover. Oh, man. <laughs> I can't say he was the most challenging athlete, but this was one of the more challenging situations I ever had. Oh, wow. Okay. And um, um, Bo Jackson. 
handoff to Bo off the left side. Gets to the outside. First down. He shoots to the 20, the 30. They'll never catch it. He's at the 50, the 30, the 20. Count them, folks. There goes Bo. And nobody catches Bo. So he's with the Raiders and he's with the White Sox. So I'm out at at Comiskey and we're doing a story on Bo. And, you know, you learn when you're doing stories that your life is about hurry up and wait. They tell you to get to it there at a certain time. You're there. You And that's fine. It, it, we're on their time. So initially we were told that we would be able to talk to Bo before batting practice. But then once we're all set up, they say, you know, Bo had to shoot a commercial. So he's running a little late. You're going to now do it after batting practice. Um, whatever it is, whatever works for Bo, yeah. we're here. We're ready to go. So I, we had worked we had worked together before. I, I felt like I knew him. And he walks over, and of course, I pull offer my hand. Hi, how are you? And um, and I'm just making small talk as we're sitting him down and miking him up. And I go, oh, um, what were you shooting a commercial for? And he looks at me and he goes, Tampax tampons. Oh. And I go, like, really, dude? Really? Really? So without missing a beat, he goes, Tampax tampons. And I go, oh, do you have any extra? Did you get any samples? Uh, there, right? you go. Right? there you go. Right, right away. So as soon as I did that, it was kind of like touche. Okay. And does the interview and everything was good. But you know what? I can't help myself. We do the interview. He walks away. He's walking towards the dugout. And I yell at the top of my lungs, hey, Bo, do you have any extra tampons? I couldn't oh. help it. Oh. And he just like looked at me because you know why? Why do you need to do that? You don't need yeah, to do yeah. that. So, and again, that's nothing against Bo. And it could have been a bad day that he was having. And, but it was just an experience that I remember, which Michael, I think if you talk to any woman, especially coming up when I did, you're always going to get challenged. You're always going to get challenged. So I got one for you, coach. And that is the first time that I interviewed Bobby Knight. Oh. And so you kind of, you always Before have to do this. after a win. It was the 25th anniversary of the undefeated 1976 team at Indiana. Okay. So I'm going in there to interview him. And like you, you always do your preparation, but you also have to do your self scouting, right? So I know what Bobby Knight's going to be like, and I know he's going to test me. So let me tell you guys, all right? I studied that 76 team. I knew every lineup, I knew every stat, I knew everything there was about that 76 team because I knew he was going to test me. Uh-huh. Maybe five minutes in the interview, I ask him a question, he asks me one back. Really? Right? Yeah, testing me. Yeah, sure. And guess what? I nailed it. I spewed it right back. And literally, I could see everything in his body language Uh change. Like, okay, she knows her stuff. She's blonde, but she knows her stuff. You know, it's okay. (laughs) And and then from that time on, we always had a really good relationship. But you know what? I don't mind that because I feel that if you're going to get tested, nail the test. And then people completely understand why you're there, and there's no misunderstanding that you don't know what you're talking about. What about this guy right here? What, what, what did this guy right I'm pointing the wrong way? What about this guy? Have you have any stories dealing with this guy? Because I'm telling you, working with him on TV, I've been in studio with him. Yeah, he he has a mouth sometimes, you know, he gets at you What sometimes. are you saying, Mike? Yeah, I'm just saying, you know, I'm just saying. I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this. I think that um, I always tell young journalists, I say, you can be friendly with the people you cover, but you really shouldn't be friends or assume you're friends, okay? Because you know what? Something may come up 
and you have to be the objective journalist and cover them. So I, but, but then again, you do meet people over the course of your career. I would say that meeting, working with, and learning from Coach Billick was one of the more, one of the most meaningful aspects of my career and my career development. And one of the biggest reasons that I can sit here and say to you that I'm in the Hall of Fame. Mm. Um, We, we would, well, you're welcome, Coach, and it's true. When he was the, when he was in Minnesota, ultimately as the coordinator, and I would go in, I was with ESPN and I'd go in there and on Saturdays, you know, I'd sit and talk to the coaches and, and players for various uh, pregame hits. And then I'd always saunter into coach's office, knock on the door, and I wanted to have him break down the X's and O's. And he always said to me, I will give you as much time as I need, as long as I can get home to take my nap that's before, right. I have to, before I have to report back to the hotel for, oh, for Saturday. Awesome. And, but you know what? He was so amazing. It was literally like every week, every, every game that I was there for Minnesota, and I was there for a lot of games, especially the year they made it to the championship game. You know, I, I feel that um, I learned so much from him. And I, the next day, even if I couldn't talk about it on the air because you didn't have time, I literally watched those X's and O's that he would, sure. that he would write on the whiteboard. They came to life. And he just, I feel like he just talked with me, but, but above all, he respected me. And that was so meaningful to me. And then I did get to know him and his lovely family um, and got to dance at his daughter's wedding. wedding. And and, well, but let me preface it by saying part of the reason, a huge part of the reason was the respect was as a coach, we, and Mike, you know, this, you deal with media people all the time, particularly men that, think they know, but don't know a quarterback from a quarter pounder. Yep. And wouldn't begin to think about asking because, well, no, I got to pretend. That's the thing I appreciated about Andrea is she, I want to know. I don't understand. Explain cover two. What does cover two mean? What are they trying to do? She truly wanted to know. And and that that spoke volumes to me that, okay, that's what I said, notwithstanding my nap, um, I'll give you all the time you need if you genuinely want to learn, and she did, and that's that's why the the respect and the relationship developed the way it did because she really did want to learn and understanding. Well, coaches want our teachers, so right, at the end right. of the day, yeah, no they doubt. want to explain it to right. you anyway. You know right. what I mean? And I and I but I always tell young journalists, especially women, don't BS your way through anything. Oh my God, if you right. don't know, just yeah. ask. So, but right. Michael, I can tell you one of the more stressful things of my career yeah. was when coach asked me to write the forward to his book. <laughs> oh, man. And I'm like, are going back. so, so I, I write the forward to his book. Oh my God, I would have, I, I would have had less stress <laughs> writing the book, but writing the forward, it was, That's but important. again, it was. It <laughs> and was I told the publisher, you got to be ready because the forward is going to be better than the book. Okay? <laughs> no, so we got to no. be ready to, to, to deal with that. <laughs> no, but it was, it was, it was really, um, it was really great. And then, and there was this clip uh, that in, in the uh, piece that was done for my hall of fame induction that was produced for it. There was a clip in there that is, is really true, which is um, four days after I gave birth 
at the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 34. At the Super uh, Bowl, uh, yes. At the, yeah, at the because, Super Bowl. She's nine and yeah. a half months uh, pregnant uh, at the uh, Super Bowl. Oh, so, yeah. uh, 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 Andrea, uh, Wait, you I know, some, th- some things bigger than sport, right? You, you could have took a day off. I, maybe, right? I no. did. I did. <laughs> but, you know, um, as I always say, my son couldn't believe the Rams were about to win the Super Bowl, and he had to see it for himself. So, but but after I, I had been, the, the most important thing is that my son was healthy and, and all that. And so four days after he was born was the game and I was working for both ESPN and ABC and I had uh, several stories that were run, but one in one in particular was really important. I had reported it for almost a year and I really felt that I needed closure for it. So I kind of cut a deal with ESPN that they would let me go do the pregame and then I would go back and I wouldn't stay for the game. So I was with the late great Stuart Scott and we come out of the story and, um, he says, he acknowledges that I had just had this baby and he goes, you know, that all the talk around here was he was going to come out and he said, cut the cord and get me Brian Billick on the phone. <laughs> this is literally what Stuart Scott said. It's like one of the great lines. And this was in my Hall of Fame piece. So they run the piece and we are at uh, the pregame of the Hall of Fame game yeah. in Canton. And we come out of the piece and there is standing Brian Billick wow. and my now 18 year old son. Oh, oh. Great. And it was really, yeah. it was just a really great moment. They had seen each other a few years before that, yeah. but um, yeah, it was nice. So I, I feel that one of the great relationships that I have made in this business is with coach Billick, with his amazing family. Uh, and that's, what's really meaningful guys. And I'm not getting soft in my old age here, but no. it's the relationships no, that, that you sure. make. It's the relationships that you make that that's really what, what these careers boil down to. Tell us about you've, you've in your career, obviously you've covered, you've done everything you baseball or basketball and, and football and the Olympics and which is a whole nother uh, vein we could tap into, but you've got to be around two goats in Michael Jordan and Tom Brady. You were in that, the last dance, there yep. were clips of you obviously talking about uh, Michael Jordan, seeing Tom Brady's first Super Bowl, seeing his last, tell me about, I mean, cause you're talking rare air here to be able to be a, to witness and be a part of and interact with two goats. Yes. Present company excluded. Of course, I, I've always said that I, I got to cover the two greatest Michaels in all the sports, Michael Jordan <laughs> and Michael Phelps. But yeah. Um, yeah, I think that um, being around those caliber athletes, you, you learn so much well beyond just their physical gifts and their physical skills. And you know, really what makes them tick as people. So I'll never forget with Brady. So he wins his first Super Bowl. And it's right down the pipe. Adam Vinatieri, no time on the clock, and the Patriots have won Super Bowl 36. Unbelievable. And of course, everybody remembers the iconic shot of him on the podium, you know, like this, like, oh my God, you know, you can't believe it. (laughs) Yeah. So back in, in those days at ESPN, we used to do something called the Sunday conversation, which was a really big deal. It was almost like the TV equivalent of the Sports Illustrated cover. Like if you make the cover, if you do the Sunday conversation, it's a big deal. And it was it was long form. I mean, you could do, you know, six, eight, you know, ten minutes in some in some instances. So I remember we're in the post-game scrum and I grab Brady and I go, We're gonna do the Sunday conversation. And he looks at me and he goes, I'm gonna be on the Sunday conversation. <laughs> and I I kind of like busted his shop 
flops over the years because I go, how come you're not that interested in talking to me still these days, the yeah. way you were in those first couple of years. But, um, but I think that that was, that was just such a, an incredibly, just a time that was so unique, him starting off in his career and the way that that all, all began. But I will tell you something that relates Jordan and Brady yeah, in a, in a way friend, that you right? might, that, yeah. that you, uh, that you might not think. NBA championship series against the trailblazers. When Jordan hit six, three pointers in the first yes. half, it's the shrug game. Yep. Right. Yep. And Michael and I, Jordan and I actually had, had, had talked about this quite a bit over the years, this idea that he really, he had no idea. You know, he was in that the zone, whatever you want to call it. Well, let me tell you, Michael might've been in the zone, but sitting in the stadium, I know you guys are going to think I'm crazy, but there was an electricity that you, that was palpable that you could feel in the stadium at that time. It was crazy. And guys, I've only felt it one other time in a stadium. And when that? do you think it was? Coming back from 28 to 3 in the oh, Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, after the the high tower sack and after mm. they start coming back and I literally I said to the guy sitting next to me I go, you know, Patriots could win this game, but they're just not going to have enough possessions. Then you get a turnover, right? Then you get, and that feeling in the stadium of it being electrified, it's the same exact feeling I got when Jordan hit those three, those six three pointers. It was just something that you sensed was going on that was going to create history. And obviously it did. What was Jordan like off camera though? Is there something about him that maybe we, we haven't seen or we haven't, you know, seen in any documentaries or, every, or anything, because at least for me, I haven't been in Jordan's presence, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, but, but what you see on camera is one thing. And you got to think that off camera, is he a little different? Or was he always competitive, always focused, always laser and ready to go? Okay. Excuse my French. That's okay. okay. Please excuse me. The most competitive mother I've ever seen in oh. my entire life. In I mean, wow. not even close competitive, ruthless and i use that word in the most complimentary of ways he was ruthless he didn't care if he was going to to render a teammate in tears by mm. going at him that hard in practice because guess what you can't friggin keep up with jordan in practice how the hell are you going to perform when the you know what hits the fan if you're in a championship game it was it was unbelievable to see the thing with michael that i appreciated with him is um Man, I was there for the good, the bad, and the ugly. Mm. I was there for all the all the great moments like we talked about, all the yeah. memorable. I remember I was literally sitting behind the backboard uh, in the game against the Lakers when he went up with one hand, switched midair. You were there? I, I, was, oh. I, I was sitting behind that, that blackboard. I mean, so I've seen all these amazing things. But I was also there when he came back from Atlantic City. And you had to ask him about gambling. And I was down in North Carolina during the Slim Buller trial when mm -hmm. uh, a check from his was found in the in uh, the possession of a bail bondsman. I was down with him uh, in taking batting practice in, you know, like the middle of nowhere when he was in the minors. So I was there for all of these moments. And that's why one of the one of the real I, I must admit, the highlights of my career was I did the first interview with Jordan 
when he came back. And that was probably the biggest story that I broke in my career was Jordan coming back to, to the NBA for the first time. And I'll never forget, there was a writer in the San Francisco Chronicle who he said something, he wrote something like, Dan Rather, Barbara Walters, Ed Bradley, Diane Sawyer, they're all trying to get Michael Jordan, but who got Michael Jordan for the first interview? ESPN's Andrea Kramer. Why? Because of the relationship that she cultivated with him. And so that was that was meaningful to me in my career development, but I also appreciated that with Michael that, again, if he saw somebody that was trying to do it the right way, mm-hmm. that was trying to be fair, and that was there the, all the time, the, as I said, for all the good parts, but also some of the not good parts. I guess he respected that. And, and that's why I was able to to uh, break the news and get the interviews that I did with him. Did, did you know it? Like, because, again, I always tell people I, I hate the fact that if sometimes in our society, we don't celebrate you until you're gone. Right. Or until you're gone from the game. When Jordan was playing as you were covering it, did you know this is something special here? This is something that we may not see again. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a great point, Michael. But to go back to what Coach had initially asked, that is another common thread with he and Brady. Mm -hmm. And listen, this isn't a matter of being a fan or anything like that. If you love sports, okay, and as an aside, I've always said with women in particular, there's two types of women that cover sports. They're the women that you grew up and you loved it. And oh my God, it's so great that I get to talk about it, commentate, host it. And then there's women who just want to be on television and, oh, well, sports looks like it'll be kind of cool. You can always tell the difference, okay? So for me, if you love sports, how you you have to be able to capture these moments with a Michael Jordan or a Michael Phelps or a Tom Brady to acknowledge that you're witnessing Mm-hmm. athletic achievement that you're probably not going to see in your career again. I mean, listen, don't get me started. I I have the utmost admiration for LeBron, but no. Jordan is the greatest. There was only one Jordan. And part of the reason is because sports did not look like what it does now. Mm-hmm. And that's due to Michael Jordan. Every athlete should owe Michael Jordan a debt of gratitude for opening up the business aspect of sport yeah. that I don't think existed prior, prior to him. Great point. You know, it, related to it, because Mike and I are talking all the time about the, the new young players and their attitude and the way they come in with, can you quantify the difference between today's young athlete and back in the day? Well, yeah, I think one of the, one of the biggest differences is this. Yeah. I mean, listen, Social media. I have had conversations in fact, I've actually even kind of had this with Jordan, but I've had it with some football players, some of whom actually work at this very network, <laughs> which is, can you friggin' imagine if social media existed when you were playing? I can't we talk about oh, it? You would probably not be you would probably mm-hmm. not be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. You would mm-hmm. not because it hey, listen, when I was covering the NBA, uh, I was with ESPN. And um, all the years covering the Bulls and the Pistons, the two Pistons championships, as well as the six Bulls championships. And you're on the road with them and you're staying at the team hotel. You see stuff, yeah. Oh, my (laughs) God. What you see. see. And I've always said that what a player does in his personal life is not our business unless it impacts his on-court performance. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not reporting what I see because unless, again, 
you show up hungover, you show up this, and you can't perform, then that's fair game. But again, can you imagine if there was social mm. media? So that's the one big thing. Mm. But again, coach, that is also morphed into the ability of the athlete to take his message, his story mm -hmm. directly to the audience, build your brand. And that's great, but that's not journalism. Journalism right. is capturing reality. Journalism is my ability to, yeah, it's great that, that you can say all these things, but I need to ask you about it. I need to maybe challenge you on something in a respectful way, of course. But that is a huge difference now. The advent of the Players' Tribune and, and, uh, and platforms like that. And now it, it seems that, you know, some of the biggest name athletes, of course, LeBron, who we just referenced, they have their own production companies and, and they want to they want to generate content. But sometimes the content they generate is their own voice. So that is a huge difference. And then, of course, that doesn't get into what covering sports is going to look like once we get into what I call the new normal. Because anybody, I keep saying the same thing, guys. Anybody who's waiting for it to get back to normal, you're going to be waiting a long time. Yeah, it won't be the same. There's a new normal, and we have yet to see exactly what that is and what covering sports in that milieu is going to yeah. be like. Before we leave, you got to talk about, because we worked together on a little bit, the that Thursday night, doing the Thursday yeah. night package with Hannah. Because that's, that's, that's a whole nother... You know, again, in an age of technology, well, all of a sudden we're doing ghost God, uh, broadcasts and whatever. And you and Hannah have done such a great job for the last, what is it, three years now? It's three years now, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you do a great job. And, and that, and thanks for bringing that up. And, and thanks for those, 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 those comments, Michael. I appreciate it. And look, Coach is, as I have mentioned before, a tremendous resource for me. He, uh, he just is. He, in, you know, he is always, um, Coach, and I will also tell you, Kurt Warner has been absolutely tremendous. I can call them both up, and I just feel like it's it's uh, you, you know it's it's NFL one hundred one two one three hundred one every single week whenever I need anything, and uh, and and it's it's been tremendous. I think what really makes me proud, in particular, of the Thursday night football uh, broadcast that we do for Amazon Prime, is that we just finished our third season. And so I remember when we first did it, a lot of people thought it was a one off. When we initially were doing 11 games the first season, Amazon had made that commitment. And with about a year left in our first season, they renewed us for the second season. And that was a tremendous feeling of validation. And then I got to be to be fully transparent. I never thought that in the middle of a pandemic, we would do our third season. And not only do I do our third season, we do, we had an exclusive game and then we had our first playoff game. So as with my career, in totality, I'm proud of the continuity. And here, you know, Ken and I kind of joke with each other. Do you realize that we've actually commentated more football games than the current Monday Night Football booth? Uh, think, uh, uh. think about that. And, that, and, and you've done it. I hope people can appreciate the way you do it because you date basically take the feed from yeah. whether it's Fox or CBS or whatever. That's hard. It's very it's because hard. you don't if you don't have that production crew. You, you really don't know what's coming next yep. in terms of the elements and the way they're going to cover it and the storyline and the way you normally do when you do a game. So I, I hope people can appreciate just how difficult a job that is for you and Hannah to do that. Keep it current. Keep it uh, uh, real, as Mike would say. When when you're having to do it from 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 a different angle, it's it, it's a hard job. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that, Coach, and I appreciate your, your acknowledging that and noticing that. And, yeah, on one hand, we don't want people to think that. 
You know what I mean? Because there's no excuses, right? It's like right. if you're, an, if, if, you're if, if you're an injured player, it's not like they're going to sit there and say, well, he was injured and that's why. Nope. No. You so, <laughs> you know, exactly. You're, so we, we don't want people to think that. But the reality is that we are incredibly hamstrung. Absolutely. Oh. And then for me, it, it always continues to just be fraught with a little extra anxiety because God bless Hannah. We, she has a tremendous spotter in Ben Boma who also spots for Monday Night Football, uh, spotted for decades for Doc Emmerich on on hockey. And Ben is there um, with Hannah, but sometimes I feel like I have no safety net. I I don't have a a Taylor Jones, your wonderful, you know, son-in-law who was with you in the booth all the time, Coach. And, you know, so it it does get fraught with anxiety. But, you know, the reality is this. um, It's like anything else. It's about preparation. And I, I always tell young people that preparation, when you feel prepared, that's going to lead to confidence and it's going to serve you well. I remember about two days before our first game, my phone rings, I pick up the phone and I go, hey, coach. And it's John Madden, who I worked with on Sunday Night Football. Wow. And coach is like, oh, my God, I didn't know about this. How could you not have told me? Blah, blah. How are you feeling? And I go, coach, I'm pretty scared. <laughs> and he goes, John Madden says to me, don't feel like you have to cram for the test. You've been preparing for this your whole career. Right. And when John Madden says something like that to you, so it took my anxiety level from like 100 down to a 70, but at least it was a downward trajectory, which is good. So <laughs> but that was um, that's something that I've tried to rely on, which is that you really know more than you're giving yourself credit for it. Thank God for my husband constantly reminding me of that as well. But um, yeah, it's, it's a tremendous amount of preparation. I love it. And um, when, when something happens in your career and you were never expecting it, it's uh, it's a pretty special thing. Yes, yeah. it is. And Andrea, I have to thank you for coming by today. I mean, this was awesome. I could listen to you talk, listen to your stories all day. We truly appreciate it. I know Coach appreciates it as well. Please come back and visit us sometime, okay? Hey, just ask. I'm, I'm happy to do it. And, and again, Michael, you have always been incredibly generous whenever I've needed anything, any advice, any support, any any good X and O strategy, whatever it is. And then, Coach, there's nobody like you. There just isn't. Um, you know, it was you have from, from day one that we met each other uh, to bringing me in to talk to your team when you were the head coach of the Ravens, uh, whatever it is, you've always been, always been there for me. Can I leave you with one quick story? What's up? Really quick, really, really quick. Go ahead. My son is an infant and I am nursing him. I nursed him for almost two years. And I literally shipped my breast milk around the country in dry ice. Oh, that's right. And yes, yes, for real. real. Um, It was something that I felt very strongly about and I wanted to do it. So um, I would put the breast milk in a cooler and it would get picked up by FedEx. So, of course, I'd also have to go into like coaches or some (laughs) office to actually (laughs) pump. But that's besides the point. So I'm at the Ravens and... The cooler is sitting outside coach's office and he's in the office and I'm walking by and some young level male, I don't even know who he was. He says to me, I, I just, I'm curious what's in that cooler. And Brian Billick storms out of his office and goes, that's private. 
You don't ask her about that. You know, this is the father of, of, of two girls and the wife of a very strong woman. There you go, and there's girl, Brian there. Billick. You don't ask her that question. Well, that's right. You, know, you don't want to know the answer. Yeah. You Brian, don't want to know. Brian Billick was protecting my breast milk. That's all I can tell you. And there is my no job. other there is no other guest that you will have on this podcast that will tell you that story. So no, that's right. Uh, you're, you're right. Yours is the only uh, breast milk I've ever protected. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> You, you guys are the best. Thank you so much for having me on. It's great to see you. Thank you, Andrea. And guys, that'll do it for this week's episode of Total Access, The Locker Room. For more insight with The Locker Room point of view, check out the latest episodes every Wednesday and Friday on Apple and Spotify. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.